there's also prostitution and gambling and like luxury hotels and stuff like that. Um, and that just uh, the three pillars of a society. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins. Joined, as always, by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hello, everyone. And today we have a very special guest. Oh, That's right. Oh, my God. Sci-fi writing badass, Andy Weir. <laughs> Yay! Hey! Hi, guys. Hi. If you didn't know, Andy Weir wrote The Martian, yes. which was turned into an awesome movie that Jeremy's seen 500 times. <laughs> yes. I've seen it. I've seen it probably only half that, so I'm not, not nearly the fan he is. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, just last year published the book Artemis, which yeah. is uh, also right now on track to possibly be a movie. You never know. You never know. <laughs> you uh, never know. Uh, but uh, currently, uh, maybe, possibly, Lord and Miller will be directing that. Well, that was the latest news I well, had heard. They but, are signed on to, uh, to direct, and we have uh, Geneva robinson uh working on the screenplay right who now. Who is, like, super red hot right now. Like has Yeah, she wrote the, uh, the upcoming uh, Captain Marvel yes. uh, movie. Yeah. Excellent. Golly, so, you're, so it's in good hands. It's in very good hands. And, uh, you know, you just got to kind of you just got to kind of hope you, you never know with Hollywood and the stars have to align and everything has to work out just right for a movie to end up getting green lighted or greenlit. Um, so I'm just kind of and as the writer of a book, you're just kind of an excited spectator on the sidelines going. Yay. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> one of the things got. I wanted to ask you is how is it hard to sort of let go of your baby and let these other creative people in this other medium uh, play around in your world do you find that easy i think it's probably different for every writer um for me it's pretty easy um because i i always consider myself a, a writer of, of books like that's my job is to write books hmm. if uh their job is to make movies out of books or make original content movies um but you know that nobody makes original content movies anymore but um <laughs> but their their job is to make movies so yeah and also i mean when you come down to the money end of things first off uh, they gave me a big pile of money, so that, that really buys <laughs> off a lot of uh, a lot of uh, anxiety. And then the other thing is, um, still, real jokes aside, when you're talking about money, my bread and butter comes from book sales. Mm-hmm. So, in, and nobody, there, there's just it, it's in the public zeitgeist that like if a if a movie sucks, uh, people will go like, oh, it's not as good as the book, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm I'm in the clear no matter what happens. Now, in the case of The Martian, I got just incredibly lucky. And in it just, like, first off, it was, like, a, a very true adaptation of the book. And second off, it was just, like, a really, really good movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> they did a really good job. So it was just every aspect of it was positive. It was, like, a charmed project from the start. <laughs> that was Drew Goddard, right? Drew Goddard. Yeah, Drew Goddard wrote the screenplay. And I, I want to go on record here. A lot of people – okay, so – um, the line, I'm going to science the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. People often say like, Andy, it's the greatest line you ever wrote. I'm like, I didn't write that. <laughs> um, that was all true. <laughs> wrote that. It's in the movie. It's not in the book at all. So this, this, this line that I am famous for coming up with 
it's Drew Goddard wrote it. He <laughs> That's <laughs> inspired it. But yeah, I was going to say it is kind of it does speak to how well he was able to get into the voice. I think of oh, yeah. the character because it it does seem like something Book Watney would say. Um, yeah. If, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it certainly feels derived from the original material. It, it doesn't does. feel like they just kind of added that in or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, what a great oh, line. It's it yeah. a fantastic adaptation. And Matt Damon just completely nailed the role. Like, yeah. just absolutely. When I watch that, I'm like, wow, this is Mark Watney. This is- That's awesome. We were just kind yeah. of uh, watching it before this interview. And we were just remarking at how well cast everybody is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, everybody is that person. Yeah, I just wish they'd used more uh, Kristen Wiig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that character I in the know. book. Yeah, in the book, she she's uh, more central than than she is in the film. And um, you know, in the in the movie, she doesn't do a single press conference. Yeah, like, there are multiple <laughs> and, press conferences. There are multiple press interactions. And she has never shown doing any of them. There's always somebody a, else. She's got a way more acid tongue, too, yeah, in the book. She, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was amazing is, as we were re-watching it and rereading it, uh, is how much of the, the dialogue from the book made it word for word into the movie. Yeah, and, that was awesome, too. Uh, it, well, Drew really liked the book, so... Yeah, well, that, I'm sure that helps. I mean, in particular, yeah. the uh, the conversation that they have in the Hermes when they're making the decision to turn around and go back like that's almost like Mm. uh, verbatim and it's very cool to see those sync up it's like yeah you're reading that just reading that i could see jessica chastain (laughs) doing those exact lines and everything um yeah as the uh resident guy who's seen the martian movie 500 times um i'm curious to know if you have had a chance to see the uh the extended cut they put out that has like 11 minutes that's mostly just longer cuts of the same scenes uh i haven't watched the extended cut start to finish but i have seen the the the, those extra scenes that are put in and i don't think i've seen the longer versions of existing scenes but i I saw the one where he's like the the scene where he's kind of on the bouncy ball looking out the window as they approach Earth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the um the reason they cut that was they said like this is a great scene. It's too bad we decided to put him on a bouncy ball. That thing's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> Well, I personally loved it. Um and I don't watch it as often as I watch the original, but I do feel like those scenes that are slightly extended by it's only like three to five seconds in some cases, but it just kind of lets everything rest a little bit more. A couple of different shots of Watney just pensively looking at something uh, where it just kind of feels like a little bit more uh, pensive version of the the mm. main action mm. film I'm used to seeing over and over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> is, it, is there anything from the book that you wished you could have seen in the movie? couple things yeah um i mean these are such like teeny little <laughs> yeah 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 but, but the thing is uh in the book uh he makes a, a joke about aquaman mm-hmm. and it in the book they uh basically it's like um teddy looks up at the stars and, and you know and goes like oh he's alone up there he doesn't know we're alive what does that do to a man what is what's happening in his <laughs> psychology right now and then it just cuts it does a you know smash cut to mars and he's like 
how come Aquaman can control whales? <laughs> it makes no sense. That reminds yeah. me. That reminds me. Mark Watney is like a, is like an honorary CinemaSins guy yeah. in this. Like, there's so many things he talks about, like the Aquaman thing. There's the Dukes of Hazard thing where they're like, why doesn't Boss Hog just go to their house? Right. <laughs> Don't let him even get in the General Lee. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, he also had some choice words to say about that one episode of uh, the Six Million Dollar Man and the Venus Pro. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so, and and so, so there's that. And what what else were you thinking you were wanted to see in the movie? Um, well, you know, that's the main one, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. The the only other um, thing is like in the book, a lot more stuff happens on his trip uh, from Ares three site to Ares four yeah, site. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I mean, it's a pretty he uh, has a lot of problems on the way, but I totally understand why they had to get rid of that. Because uh, that the movie was already like you know two hours and twenty minutes long or something. You can't. Yeah. I mean, you, you, <laughs> there is such a thing as too much of a good thing, and you don't want a three hour, three and a half hour monolith. Although so, we do. I do now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> sure. Exactly. The yeah. part I miss the most uh, that I wanted to see, and I totally know why it can't be there, is that is that whole sandstorm thing mm-hmm. at the end where he has to figure out which direction to go in by measuring in like the tiniest degree the air quality and like the one of the, my favorite i think demonstrations of watney's uh ingenuity and i understand why that whole set piece can't be in the movie as they wrote it but that was probably one of my favorite parts of the whole book oh thanks yeah. um yeah and i can absolutely understand why they took it out first off they just montaged his whole trip mm-hmm. which is fine yeah <laughs> and then uh second off it, it's a repeated beat right yeah. i mean we already had a sandstorm yeah yeah and, and so like having another one is like all right you know even at the time i wrote it i was like mm, i'm a little nervous because he's having another sandstorm issue or you know yeah but the way he storm. the way he uh solves the problem though <laughs> i think that's the i think that's the main meat of why the martian works so well is that we get to see him con- considering every little detail and then sometimes even not considering details that's why he gets into <laughs> trouble uh, but, but the reason why that dust storm thing works so well for me is that he's like, I mean, I know you can't do this in a movie, but yeah. he, he goes 40 kilometers this yeah. way. He goes 40 kilometers another way. He's, he's setting up cameras to make sure the, you know, like how much power they're getting and all that. Uh, it would have just been fun, but I mean, I don't know. Movie, you're right. It wouldn't. It would have been. I would have attacked on another twenty minutes at least. Just read oh, the yeah. book again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although I will say, with the recent sandstorm that basically covered almost the whole surface of Mars, it's. I think it makes it a lot more plausible that there could be another sandstorm. Right? That's not like. Crazy coincidence. Right. right. Well, uh, yeah, Mars has seasonal global dust storms. Yeah. Mm. Um, the thing that isn't plausible is the sandstorm at the beginning. Ah. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, the, I mean, Mars's atmosphere is less than 1% of Earth's atmospheric <laughs> pressure. Yeah. And so it does get 150 kilometer an hour winds, but that would, because there's so little inertia behind the atmosphere because it's so thin, it would barely be able to knock over a piece of paper, mm-hmm. let alone a 27 ton spaceship. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And, and so I knew that when I wrote it. 
I mean, I knew that that was just like scientifically inaccurate, mm. but I'm like, eh, I don't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta you gotta shoo certain things. <laughs> Tell the legend, well, you know. It's two things. First off, at the time, most people didn't know that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Then the Martian came out and kind of educated everyone about Mars, and then everybody knew it, <laughs> yeah. that that it was bullshit. Uh. But, um, that my that my scene was 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 wrong. But um, that that was one thing. The other thing is um, it, it's a it's a person versus nature story, and I wanted nature to get the first punch in. Yeah. So, um, but since then, uh, I wish I yeah you know twenty twenty hindsight. Since then, you know, after the Martian became popular, I got to go to NASA. I got to do all this awesome stuff. Oh, man. And um, uh, I have since learned that Mars has lightning. Oh, really? And so, yeah. So I could have had everything start off with a lightning strike. Nice. You know, that, that like a lightning strike hits an oxidizer tank. Or so, you know, whatever. And there's an explosion, which now causes the ship to be in danger of falling over or, or something like that. You yeah. know? Or you could have been like a stealth sequel to Mission to Mars and had like a giant face appear in yeah. a mountain. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. And make Don Definitely Cheadle go crazy. With yeah. The theme of the Martian. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how much did you have to research to write this book? Like seven research. What's that? <laughs> that sounds about right. I was, I was going to say probably eight or nine. Uh, I had to do a ton of research, of course. I, I, but that for me is the fun part. And it's hard for me to answer the question of how much research did I do? Because as each new thing came up, I would then go spend time researching it. So it's not like I just did a bunch of research and then did a bunch of writing. Right. right? But it took me about three years to write the book, and I would say I spent about half my time researching. Wow, mm. I was because every the one thing that I think is a good trick of the book is that it make you make it sound like you have the that well at least Watney has this knowledge just offhand, you know, like uh, yeah. it's it doesn't seem like you just looked up a fact and then put it in, you know, put it on the paper and there, there, you know, that that was it. It looked like you just inherently knew a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it's really easy when you're writing to make a character appear like just like super smart because yeah. I spend three hours looking something up and Watney's like, oh, yeah, no, I mean, this is how this works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a, a, a fan on Twitter, a friend on Twitter, um, who's a botanist and he did this great thread a month or two ago about he also loves the martian by the way and uh, told me to tell you hi uh but uh (laughs) he did this great thread about now why did watney choose the potatoes you might wonder why didn't he go with beans or why didn't he go with this or what have you and he basically had like couple dozen tweets in this thread breaking down why potatoes was the right choice in every single instance whether it was like cycle of growth yeah or or calories or what have you and i was just like wow i love smart people loving smart (laughs) things yeah thanks well and andy is your bank i'm sorry go Go ahead go ahead jeremy uh, sorry, this is Barrett. Um, oh, sorry, Barrett. You're, you're all the same. Yeah. <laughs> we have very we similar sounding voices. Your background's you in computer science, right? Jeremy's voice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it, it's actually, he doesn't sound quite the same as he does in when he's narrating. He's, I mean, because this is his normal conversational voice as opposed to his narration voice. That's correct. You know? yeah. I have to put on the hat to truly yeah. be the sin voice. <laughs> this is yes. just my everyday sin voice. That's right. Yes. I see. <laughs> I see. No, I was going to ask, your background is not in astrophysics, right? Or in in space stuff. Your background's in computer science, right? Yeah, I'm a compu- I am was a computer programmer for about 25 years. Oh, wow. Oh, and um, 
and you know now I do full time writing. But and I liked programming computers. I was a happy little cubicle dweller. I've never <laughs> had a problem with that. I, <laughs> I I liked that job. I hung on to my last uh, my last uh, programming job longer than I should have. Like I was already like. The Martian was already on the bestseller list. The movie was already in production. You know, yeah. <laughs> just like, I, I liked it. <laughs> uh, but I've always been a space dork, you know. So in the same way that, you know, you take somebody who's, I don't know, a gearhead, someone who's like way into cars, they're more knowledgeable about cars. Mm-hmm. So they could they could write about that. And, you know, so everybody everybody is knowledgeable in their hobbies. Oh, right. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Um, I noticed uh, I'm partway through Artemis. Uh, I'm the one in the room that hasn't finished it because everyone else borrowed my copy <laughs> to, to read it and prep for this, and I got it uh-huh. back and haven't gotten. Th- but one thing I, I love about both that and The Martian is where you choose to set this in terms of it's it's science fiction to me, but it's set in such a near future that it feels plausible. Um, and I feel like a lot of science fiction writers will take us light years away to some other planet or hundreds or thousands of years into the future, or if you're George Lucas into the past um, to tell these fantastical sci-fi stories. And I am really drawn to your writing because it feels so plausible. And I'm I'm curious if you're, if you're intentionally writing in that world or just your first two stories happen to be that. Well, I really like near future. Well, uh, the, the short answer is it's intentional. The longer answer is I like hard sci-fi. You know, I like writing science fiction with plausible science in it. Hmm. The further into the future you go, the more, you know, like seemingly magical technology there would be. So in other words, let's say I was like in Jules Verne's era. Let's say I was writing back then. I wouldn't want, uh, you know, if I had written something that took place in the 2000s, there's so much technology that has been invented since the 1880s, that it would be just really, really difficult to explain that world. And it would not seem plausible mm. to people, even if even if even if I was exactly perfectly on. Mm. I'm like, here's the Internet. There's this thing called Wikipedia. There's this <laughs> loser channel called CinemaSense. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um, when it's super near future, then it's just like here. Are, here's the science we have. And then here's very, you know, kind of slight advancements in that and where that takes us. And it, it, it feels more real and tangible to the to the reader. Yeah. Or at least that's what I hope. Well, particularly like the space tourism on Artemis or the, the lunar tourism. I read that uh, the paper that was attached to my copy of Artemis uh, about how you settled on the price point, like the uh, yeah. econ- economic reality of it of $70,000. You could actually feasibly do this as a middle class or um, and, and details like that, I think, are would inform a, a more compelling story because you can relate to it. If, if it's a million or a thousand years in the future, it's more difficult right. to relate to that reality. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah. With in, specifically with Artemis, um, the, fir- the biggest problem I had wh- when I was conceptualizing it is uh, I started off by saying, I want a story that takes place on the moon uh, mm-hmm. in a city on the moon. That's what I want. Give me a moon city. And then, and then I'm like, well, why the hell would anyone build a city on the moon? That was my main problem mm-hmm. is because all the traditional science fiction like answers to that question kind of leave me unsatisfied. It's like, oh, people, uh, you know, they, they did it uh, because they want to mine the moon for resources. I'm like, well, first off, there's literally nothing on the moon that isn't also all over the place on Earth, except possibly helium three. <laughs> but even then, um, OK, send robots. 
Why would you send human beings? We're soft, we're squishy. You have to bring the humans back when you're done with them. You, I mean, it's like a terrible way of doing anything. We're the worst possible mechanism. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, send robots. And then, so other explanations are like, oh, population pressure, uh, you know, made people, you know, start colonizing the moon. I'm like, did you colonize the ocean? Did you colonize the Sahara? Did you colonize Antarctica? Mm-hmm. Like all of those are easier than colonizing the moon. All of those are so much easier than colonizing the moon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, the next thing is like, oh, uh, political um, political strife. Like, you know, people, an oppressed class went off to live in the moon, kind of like, you know, the pilgrims and whatever. And I'm like, okay, if you can afford to build a city in the moon, you're not the oppressed people. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You, you know, so the thing I came up with is like every city in human history has some economic reason for being there. And so I'm like, I, there has to be some economic reason that makes sense. And the only reason I can think of, of like, what is there an economic reason for a bunch of humans to be on the moon? I thought, okay, tourism. So mm-hmm. I built it all around that. Mm-hmm. And then to make that work, I said like, okay, well, I need to know which way the technology is going to go. Like, how cheap is it? Like right now, it's super expensive to get into space, but how cheap could it get? Mm-hmm. And then I did that. I, I wrote a whole article on it's on businessinsider.com if anyone wants to read it, where I did this analysis of this is the one that, that you guys were just talking about, where I did this whole analysis and I projected the commercial space industry forward. Uh, and I said, I made a, the core assumption of what if the commercial space industry was as efficient as the commercial airline industry Mm -hmm. and i just find efficient as meaning spends the same percentage of its money on fuel Hmm. right and everything kind of worked out from there that's the really fun thing about being a hard sci-fi author is you i I try to come up with just you know the rules of like okay this works this way that works that way now do a bunch of math and find out what happens right (laughs) yeah yeah. it's that that's the fun part for me is like the science kind of writes the plot for me in a lot of cases. Well, sure, yeah. The uh, everything grows out of that that tourism element of it uh, because th- that's that's the story and that's how jazz and uh, everybody gets involved with this. Uh, I would like to thank you for introducing me to the term moon poon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Trust fund boys looking for moon poon. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's just interesting to see like. Because it's not just the feature of going to the moon as part of the tourism uh, industry up there. There's also prostitution and gambling and like luxury hotels and stuff like that. Um, and that just uh, the three pillars of a society. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it really fleshes it out, and that that story just works so perfectly in there. Do you imagine it's possible that the events of Artemis and the events of the Martian are taking place in the same universe, or is this just well, a whole different thing for you? Legally, I can't say that. <laughs> that <laughs> See, is the thing a- is, for books, it, it, it actually kind of sucks for, for writers in this in this fashion. Is that So, like, The Martian was a big success and stuff like that. All sorts of different entities own any derivative rights, mm. right? So, like, you know, if I made a sequel to The Martian, then this, you know, these people would automatically have, um, you know, right of first refusal on an audiobook, And oh. these people would automatically have right of few, you know, on film rights and the, this publisher would blah, 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 blah. So it activates clauses in all these contracts. Well, uh, I don't want to make you do that. It's so needlessly <laughs> complicated. Um, but if you say, but if you write a new unique work, then it's like, 
you know, everything's everything's there. But so I'm, I, I leave it up to the reader's imagination to decide <laughs> for themselves whether or not they take place in the same uh, in the same universe. The All answer right. is yes. All right. All right. <laughs> but for us, the answer is yes. I choose to believe. <laughs> so you have uh, written an interesting character here. This this uh, Jasmine Bashara character. She is a Saudi Arabian uh, heroine, you know, and mm-hmm. it's and uh, and I'm wondering, do you have do you have anybody in mind in your head who would play this character in an American film? Well, people ask me that question all the time, right. and uh, I never really know how to answer because, believe it or not, when I'm writing, I don't have. A, a, like a cinematic view of the events that are taking place. Okay. It's all just kind of blobs and concepts and I, you know, and which is also kind of how I am when I'm reading books. And, and so like when I finished the Martian, you know, I, and I was completely done with it, I couldn't have told you what color Mark Watney's hair was. Mm-hmm. Like I don't visualize the characters that way. Oh, now for jazz, all I would want is <clears throat> someone who can pass for, uh, Saudi Arabian, like ethnically wise. Mm-hmm. So someone who's about the right skin tone, an olive complexioned lady. Yeah. Um, and someone who's within a decade or so of 26 years old. Right. You know, like, which is uh, jazz is 26 during the events of the, of the story. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's about all I need. Um, and of course it would, you know, this is, the, the the easy part is jazz is supposed to be fairly attractive, but you know Hollywood generally pretty good at finding attractive <laughs> yeah, I don't people. Think you have a problem with that. So what you, what you're saying is Scarlett Johansson? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it might as well be right. She might as well have another controversy with us. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, Scarlett Johansson, oh, she's not the right skin color. We'll just put makeup on her. No yeah. Uh, yeah, why not? Uh, what could go wrong? Why not? Darken her skin a little bit. I don't think anybody would take offense at that. One thing that I think is interesting is that the uh, audio book has Rosario Dawson. And, oh, yeah. And I was she, like, wow, she would be a pretty good uh, jazz, I think. She actually. would be a pretty good jazz, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think she'd do a great job. She certainly did a great job narrating jazz like being being jazz in the first person narration mm-hmm. yeah. yeah um she's always great though yeah i mean love me yeah. some rosario dawson yeah yeah um i want to talk a little bit about movies if you don't mind um like your taste you guys like movies yeah <laughs> <laughs> like what kind of what what are some of your favorite movies and, and why and do you think they inform your writing uh free form conversation go <laughs> oh, okay well um my favorite genre of, of film is sci-fi, of course. Big, big shock there. Yeah, I'm shocked. Um, and I don't. It doesn't have to be scientifically accurate stuff for me to enjoy it. I don't. I don't care. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like my particular brand is, is that I write hard sci-fi, but I don't. I don't care if it's you know really really soft. I like Star Wars, and Star Wars is let's be honest, fantasy. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's got wizards and sword fighters. It's it's it's, it's fantasy, <laughs> right? And I, I love it. And I love Star Trek films, um, old and new, and the TV shows and all that stuff like that. So I'm I'm I, I love sci-fi in most of its in almost all of its flavors. Um, I also uh, really like uh, kind of noir uh, films and stuff like that. And and Artemis has a little bit of that. It's like kind of the the put upon detective although jazz isn't like a private eye but it's that sort of thing uh, people often ask oh what are your inspirations on this that and the other thing one of my favorite movies of all time is chinatown oh, oh nice yeah. um, 
love that film. I think it's like one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. Yeah. And um, that is the main inspiration for Artemis. Yeah, yeah um, makes sense. And it, yeah, at first you're like, what? But then it's like, uh, uh, Chinatown is about the ugly, nasty crap that has to happen under the surface for yep. a city to grow. Mm. Yeah, for a city to get big. In Chinatown, it's all about the water, you know, getting into Los Angeles. But um, <laughs> yeah, in Artemis, it's all about this this sudden tumultuous change to its economy and trying not to give away too many spoilers. Yeah. But that, that is on, looming on the horizon and all the machinations surrounding that. Well, and awesome. plus, it's, uh, it's rich companies who want to get richer somehow. <laughs> well, you know, they already print money on this, yeah. on the doing the things that they do, mm-hmm. providing stuff that only they can provide. Although <laughs> I do, I do need to let you know, Andy, that on this show, because of um, my error in not remembering the title Chinatown, we call that movie uh, the incest movie. Mm-hmm. The incest movie. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. My, yeah. My, my daughter, my sister, my daughter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I actually. That makes perfect sense now that you say that, and we love Chinatown. That's one of our mm-hmm. favorite movies. Not um, not enough to remember its title though. Nope. Okay. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. No. Well, it's, it's kind of like it's kind of like Macbeth is the Scottish play. Yeah. To, yeah. Isn't it just isn't it asking us a little much to know the titles of things? <laughs> I just I, it's one of my character traits on this podcast to not not be able to remember things all the time, uh, and uh, that well, that's one of be... my character traits in this life. <laughs> yeah. So you're not alone. Yeah, I, my my wife serves as my you know long term memory. <laughs> Excellent. I'll be like, we'll be out somewhere, and I'm like, oh, when we get home, honey, remind me I have to take the cans out to the garbage out for you know for the because it's trash day. She's like, okay, because I know I'm not going to remember it beyond that moment. Yeah, um, I was <laughs> like a goldfish. <laughs> I am wondering. I know that you pro- you've probably been asked this a million times, but I, I want to sort of frame it and hopefully that you in a way that you haven't been asked it before, but. I'm going to start with a really common question. What was your inspiration to write The Martian? But the question I have is, did you see sort of a dearth in this kind of science fiction writing? And that's the reason why you felt like you needed to write this? Because I feel like if someone else writes The Martian, who writes, you know, like your your regular everyday sci-fi Mark Watney's not a character who sits there and thinks about things and thinks about all the, you know, details and all that. It's just everything just kind of comes to him naturally or whatever, and we don't have to worry about all those things. So hmm. did you see sort of a, a, a void in that in in that kind of writing? Well, um, I'll answer the first question first because it's actually much simpler for me to answer. Okay. Um, the inspiration for The Martian was, I, like I said, I'm a space dork. You know, mm-hmm. this is my hobby. It's my interest. I'm one of those guys who's, you know, I, I have, I have like, you know, you know, JPL.org, you know, like bookmarks so that I can <laughs> yeah. see what's new coming up. And when they were building Curiosity, um, like they had a webcam up in the white room that, you know, in, in the, in the uh, high bay, as it's called, mm-hmm. where, and I just had that up on a second monitor at work all day. <laughs> like, and wow. so I'd be doing my work and I'd glance over and see what they're doing on Curiosity today. And it was just a live feed. I mean, that's the level of space dork I am. Mm-hmm. And so while that was, uh, I, I was sitting around thinking like, I want to design a, a, a manned mission to Mars. That, so not for a book or anything like that. I was just like, okay, so I want to come up with like, how could we do, you know, just speculate. Okay, well, how do we get people there? How do we get them back? You know, how do we make sure they don't die? You know, and the mission plan has to account for, 
for failures. Like, okay, what if this thing breaks? Mm -hmm. uh, what's the backup? What if this thing breaks? What if these two things fail at the same time? Like, how do you how do you make sure the mission is robust enough to handle these failures without risking the crew's lives and without needing to abort at the first sign of trouble? Like, you know, Abway's like, okay, this went wrong, but we can fix it and continue the mission, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I started thinking of like, well, what if this happens, this happens, this happens, and then this could be really bad and stuff like that. And the the kind of progressively desperate things a crew would have to do to survive in these scenarios, I started to realize might make for a good book. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I created an unfortunate protagonist and subjected him to all of them. <laughs> oh yeah. my God, you tortured the poor bastard. Yeah, yeah no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a vengeful, mean god. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, <laughs> should never put me in charge of the universe. I'll have unhappy people. Um, but uh, so that's kind of, that was the inspiration of the Martian. Now you, you did touch on something else. You said, you know, do, do you see that there's a dearth of this sort of thing? Is that why you wrote it? Mm -hmm. That is not why I wrote it. Mm -hmm. It's just I had this idea and I wrote it. Yeah. But um, so that's not what motivated me to write this kind of thing. However, I will say I do definitely feel there is a dearth of it. Yeah. Um, I feel uh, like sci-fi recently. Well, a few things. First off, there's almost no hard science fiction out there these days. Right. In the in the old days, we had like My Holy Trinity, uh, you know, Asimov, Heinlein, and Clark mm -hmm. were cranking out these stories that were kind of like, oh, they take place like a hundred or hundred and fifty years in the future. There's like rockets and stuff, but everything obeys physics, you know. Right. Not everything. There's faster than light travel and stuff in some of the books, but some of them are are really pretty solid. Uh, for the science they had at the time. And and that seems to have gone away. And I miss that. I grew up reading those books because they were my father's science fiction collection. And and so I miss that. So that's kind of what sci-fi is for me. And the other thing, and I'm 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 sure you guys have, have noted this probably many times in the past, is that science fiction has been hijacked by these bleak dystopian misery scapes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it seems like everything has to be like not nowadays, like every view of the future is like, OK, well, this techno fascist regime in charge and <laughs> and the only hope everybody's miserable. And for some reason, teenagers have to do weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I don't I don't buy into that. Um, first, I, I can understand why evil fascist regimes are a very simple way of, of creating conflict. Mm -hmm. Like you immediately understand it. No, nobody has to sit and think about it. Oh, you know, maybe this regime's good for the economy. It's like, no, <laughs> nobody has to think about it. They're like, Oh, okay. These are kind of pseudo Nazis. They're the bad guys. These people are the good guys. The bad guys have all the power. The good guys have almost nothing but their wits and their determination to work with. And it, and it's just like this prefab plot that you can drop into anything. Yeah. So I understand why they do it. But I also firmly believe that that's not how technology works. It, 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 there's this, I, you know, I don't mind, you know, space Nazis or whatever. I like them as much as the next guy. They're, they're, I, I like, I like a good, like, Hey, show me some, I, 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 I'm ready to grab my popcorn, sit down, watch a movie where there's unambiguous evil and unambiguous good. And they fight and good wins. You yeah. know, I don't, I don't need, you know, anything deeper than that to be happy and entertained. Yeah. But what I don't like is this 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 feeling of technophobia that seems to permeate science fiction nowadays? Like, yeah. where the idea is that like all technology is basically evil, or humans are so evil that like as soon as we come up with technology, it we, we will 
the worst possible outcome will happen. Right. And so that's, or in other words, every single episode of Black Mirror. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> well, what do you think? Then, of, I'm sorry. Go uh, well, I, I'm still ranting. Sorry. And, then, um, and whereas I would say like 5,000 years of human history has shown that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I often say to people, I'm like, name a technology, any technology in human history that has done more harm than good overall. Hmm. And people might immediately say, well, nuclear bombs. I'm like, well, nuclear power, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Nuclear bombs have been responsible for the deaths of like, uh, you know, like about 200, 250,000 people total. And I'm like, but nuclear power, how many, how many coal miners didn't die because, you know, we had nuclear power to run our civilization? How, how, how much better is the environment because of nuclear power or how much better is this, that, and the other thing. And, and just the scientific advancements that came from it. It's like, it's better. Yeah. And, Literally everything is, is it's very, very difficult to find a technology. Even people say like, okay, well, you know, genetically engineered viruses, you know, for bioweapons. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, has anyone ever actually used that? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And meanwhile, genetically engineered viruses are being used to treat cancer and being used to deal with the, you know, gen- it's genetic, you know, uh, therapy. And um, so anyway, um, I also firmly believe that the future is always better than the past. Mm. If you ask someone, where would you rather be alive now or a hundred years ago or 200 years ago or 300 years ago, they'll say, well, now, and, and I say like, well, what if you're not allowed to choose now? You have to go back at least a hundred years. They'll be like, well, I'll go back just a hundred years. Everybody would want to be as far forward in time as possible mm-hmm. because humanity and our world just keeps becoming a better and better and better place to live. And a hundred years from now, people will be like, no, I don't want to live in 2018. 2118 is so much better. Mm. So, well, that has to be true. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I was reading that story, Digitocracy, that you uh, you published oh, in thanks. the in Medium. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how you think, because this is a not quite a dystopic future, but it is a future where AI essentially runs everything. And mm-hmm. when you get a unicorn movie that's that's also based on technology, but also smart and beautiful, uh, Ex Machina is what I'm thinking about. Um, uh, yeah. What what are your thoughts on how AI is getting integrated into our society? Singularity, all that stuff, like how how that's going to turn out? Do you think this is another technology that will almost certainly be a benefit to society, even at the expense yes. of humanity? Yes, a hundred percent. This, 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 this view of like the singularity is like the end of the world. The computers will take over and it's judgment day and it's Skynet, (laughs) you know, and I'm like, no, it's a tool. You know, someone's, you know, eventually they'll, they'll have computers that are smarter than humans. Okay. Just make your peace with that. It's only a matter of time. Okay. But then what happens with those computers that are smarter than humans? Someone eventually will say like, and here's, I, I still say everything comes back to economics. All the important events in human history are driven by economics. Eventually, there will be computers that can run and manage an economy better than any humans can. Mm-hmm. And we won't even understand why it works so well. It just does. Right. And it's just like it does. It's like the computers are like, yeah, I ran 743 billion different like scenarios. And the best way to bring our uh, the best way to improve our economy is to increase barley production by 0.04%. Just trust me, you know, and, and it's like, you do that and everything works out great. And, and so, and, and it won't even be considered odd. It's like, if, if, if you, if you ask your computer what the square root of some 10 digit number is, it'll tell you in, in, you know, under a second and 
you'll just trust that it's correct, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you don't go like, well, I want to see your methodology. <laughs> yeah, show you your know? math. <laughs> and and so I, I think it's only a matter of time. And also just think of all the things that like computers that are smarter than humans, think of think of all the things they could do. You go in, you have like an AI doctor mm. and it's like, okay, you know, give it a blood test and stuff like that. Tell me about your symptoms. Tell me what you're feeling. Da, 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 da. Oh yeah, you 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 have um, you know you you have malaria aggravated by rickets. <laughs> Here, so other in other words, WebMD, right? Big Hero right, Six. Yeah, right. Well, no, Big Web Hero MD Six. Is you always have cancer, AIDS, or cancerous AIDS. Right. But, um, <laughs> oh, I hope I never get malaria rickets. Yes, <laughs> malaria rickets. Yeah, but oh, um, but yeah, if you just imagine that and. I honestly think that, and here's here here's a weird thought. Um, people aren't thinking of how much computers are going to affect entertainment. How long will it be before computers can make music that's more beautiful than any human has made? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow! Right? Well, there's a guy I read about this week who's trying to make a movie with one of the characters being played by a digital AI creation or some kind of CGI. Hmm. And again, that's not AI for per se, but you know, how long until computers are creating better visual medium art well, than we can. That's the other thing as I was imagining is, so how long, you know, as a writer, one of my questions is how long until computers can write better stories than humans can? Mm-hmm. And people say like, well, that's that doesn't make any sense. Stories are very high-end, high conceptual. It's, it's basically computers don't think along those ways. Well, that's what they used to say about computers playing Go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So how long until you have a, an AI that sits there and says like, OK, so I've read every book ever published and uh, I found the the themes and and the commonalities among the ones that people like and the commonalities among the ones that people don't like. And I've read all the reviews to get a feel of what parts of books they like. And so here's what I've come up with as these are popular plots and these are popular character traits and these are things like that. And so now I'm going to put these pieces together to make a story that humans will really enjoy. Man, wouldn't it be cool if somebody did that and didn't tell anyone and that right. book went to yeah. the top of the bestseller be- list and then they revealed it? God, that would be <laughs> yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, you're, you're on to me. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then the next thing is so we're already getting to the point where, you know, CGI characters are they're still a little bit in the uncanny valley, but they're almost climbing out of it. Right. Yeah. And, and um, so how long until that gets basically indistinguishable from humans? Like, with no problem at all. That's probably pretty close. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing is how long until computers can just say, like, oh, give me uh, give me 20 minutes and I'll make you a movie that's better than Citizen Kane. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know? Yeah. It's like, just give, give me. Just, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll write it. Um, yeah. This one. Go, this one stars like, you know, Humphrey Bogart and Elijah Wood. And, uh, <laughs> you know. That's pretty good. Man, and you're saying this is inevitable, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's only a matter of time before a lot of creative pursuits end up like computers end up better at them. Well, and they'll be cheaper too, right? So the people who care about like studios already only care about money. Uh, sure. Once they can hire a computer to make Fast and Furious Ten. <laughs> Instead yeah. of humans, it'll be a lot cheaper for them to do so. Isn't it already made by computers? Half. <laughs> Half by computers. Well, um, then the, well, the next question is, how long until studios are basically put out of business because my PC at home can make better movies? <laughs> well, yeah, that's that crazy. may be the only bright 
like silver lining in this uh killing off of creative jobs <laughs> I, you know what i've heard i've heard these kind well, and, of and how long until i can get my you know a perfect ai that'll do snarky movie reviews yeah there you go. <laughs> that's true there you go um, it, you got us. I, ha- we, I, I, I have heard this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be seconds of fucking logos. That would be beautiful. Oh my god! If, if there's any legacy Cinema Sins has, it will be that some robot can just do this shit <laughs> in oh its sleep. God. I would actually walk away, man. I would have never thought this shit was well, eternal. Anyway, that brings up a question. I've heard this. I've heard this future prediction type of thing. Thing before where robots going to be doing everything and everything. I don't think I've ever heard what we're going to be doing when that happens. Though. Mm. Chilling. We're just going to be chilling? <laughs> like, no, uh, we'll be like in Wally. All no. the- <laughs> like I wonder if, if there'll be any need for us to do anything or if they're, you know, well, can we really just chill? Is uh, a post-scarcity society. Mm-hmm. And that is, in my opinion, like there will come a time in the future and this this is further out than we're going to see. I think right. it's like beyond my lifespan, but there will come at a time in the future where we are post scarcity, uh, which means that like literally every aspect of providing for human needs is fully automated mm-hmm. and the maintenance of those aspects are also fully automated. And so at this point, humans don't have to work anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't have to do a job. And so that's, that's uh, that's not a new concept. That's called post scarcity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have read the E and M Banks books, uh, the Culture series. Um, they all take place in a post scarcity kind of world, mm-hmm. and um, it's really hard for people like us from our era to imagine that world because we identify so much of our own personal identity is wrapped up in our professions. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that would no longer be the case. So if you just imagine like. Imagine like high society or, or people who are like so wealthy that they don't have to do anything, but but they still do stuff. Yeah. Right. Not just not just leisure activities. They do they do things that they're passionate about. They work hard on things even though they don't have to. Right. But that would be what humanity is like. Because yeah, there would still be a need for humans to want to write books and make movies, even though all the robots are doing it. And- mm. Uh, and there would still be a need for people to go out and plant a garden, even though they don't need to. Well, yeah, again, you're still thinking along the lines of someone, you know, from our oh, yeah, civilization yeah. where it's like, in what way can I do things that benefit, you know, that, that provide things for myself or others, mm-hmm. but that would no longer be the case. Yeah. It would then become, what do I, what, what do I enjoy? I need to be introspective. How, how can I find happiness? Like there's lots of different things I can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to find out. Oh, it turns out I really enjoy parachuting. Okay. I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm do that you know? all the time. <laughs> well, until I get bored of it and right. I work on to something else. And, yeah. and, and it, 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 but people will find meaning in things other than their professions. And that's, that's a really interesting thing to explore. I decided not, I mean, I've thought about that, but I decided not to do that in my fiction because like, I'm more about the science and less about the psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, uh, other better writers could handle that stuff. Me, I'm, I'm all about the science. <laughs> this is why we have you on the podcast today, is we are enlightened about things and never thought about it in a different way yeah. before. And that is, I will now be thinking about this for weeks. I, yes, I will as it's well. It's a bright future, though. Wouldn't you like to live there? Uh, yes. Know, where it's like, 
You don't have to work. Where you get up and, and you're just like, I'm just going to do whatever I want today. But how do I ensure? I'm I'm half serious, by the way. How do I ensure what what happens to like if I want a steak? How do I get that steak? You, like you the robot's going to make it for me, sure. But do I have to pay for it? Is everything free no. in this place? Why would you? <laughs> <laughs> well, just imagine it. I mean, like, so we're talking about so post scarcity means no scarcity. It means so think about your oxygen consumption. Mm-hmm. You don't pay for it. You need it. If you don't get it, you'll die. Mm-hmm. But it's just there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm with you. I wasn't expecting to have school today, but it, I'm, I'm enjoying it. No, I, I guess you're right. So nobody needs to pay for anything anymore, and everybody can just be free to pursue whatever makes them happy. That's right. still good. There's still going to be t- gobs of conflict between humans Absolutely. and that. Yeah, there's still going to be people who don't like what other people are doing. There's still going to be ideological differences. There's still going to be divides. Yeah. Um, but also, depending on how far into the post-scarcity world you are, the computers will be like, no, 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 no. You don't get to kill each other. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> argue, but. Uh, Man, that isn't that essentially you know? Star Trek, though? <laughs> like a post-scarcity type of uh, well, universe? Still, the, um, I don't know. Earth in the Star Trek universe itself is post-scarcity, but it is part of a galaxy that is not. Ah. Right? So if Earth, if you take the Earth from the Star Trek universe and isolate it and put it, put it in a, put it in a galaxy where there is, where that's the only life, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, that's a post-scarcity society. Hmm. Hmm. So we'd all have time to do deep space exploration. There you go. Yeah. There you go. If, uh, if, if that was your thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, remind, it reminds me of the ship in um, Wally. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Like everybody's just hanging out. <laughs> yeah. Eating food, getting <laughs> that, fat. That, is, that ship was post-scarcity, right? Yeah. Everything was automated. Yeah. The, the actual humans... Their only job is just to chill. Yeah, <laughs> I was. Uh, so, yeah, getting back to what you were talking about there, the the pessimistic view in sci fi and everything. That's one of the subtexts, I believe, of both of your books is that there's an optimistic view of what is going on. I think about this world that where we're just regularly sending Mar manned Mars missions it like every so so many years or whatever and we've got everything plotted out like the government's on it it's it's a publicly owned space mm-hmm. all this other type of stuff and the same thing with artemis it's like all right we're just going to the moon now we're just hanging out on the moon mm-hmm. there's people there who are who are there to sort you know provide service for you and everything um that's that's one thing i don't think i see in much sci- in many in many sci-fi mm-hmm. things it's, that's the the uh, i don't know sort of an enjoyment of reading what you've put down to paper so far. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I mean, I really do have an optimistic view of the future. Mm-hmm. I honestly do. I also have an optimistic view of humanity. You know, I, I think that we're, we're pretty good. We're pretty good as a species goes. And you see the, you see the negative aspects of it on the news all the time. But the reason you see the negative aspects of it is that when people are being assholes to each other, it's newsworthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because it, 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 it's, it is, so presumed and common for people to be cooperative that it's abnormal when they're not. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. And, and so like, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to read something like this in this day and age where we've, you know, how, I don't know how many years ago it was where the government just stopped funding NASA and then like, Mm. you know, but then we have Elon Musk come out of nowhere and say, I want to start doing this type of thing. There's your optimism right there is Mm -hmm. that there are still people who have the, the money and wherewithal 
to do it without NASA, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a, okay, I'm maybe 5% of the space nerd that you are, um, <laughs> but I, I mean, how awesome has it been the last few years to watch them send up rockets and land those fuckers back on Earth or on that <laughs> yeah. barge? I mean, I, I remember like the first time I actually watched it live, I went to Twitter and I was like, SpaceX! <laughs> and like, everybody was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, come on, that's amazing! Like, how geeked out are you about that? Yeah, I'm super geeked out about it. I honestly think that the, you know, so now we're moving into my space geekery, not my general views of humanity. But, um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I think the way forward in space is to drive down the price to lower Earth orbit. I still believe I, I people think that this is a cinema, cynicism I have, which is at odds with my optimism. But I still honestly believe that all the major events in history and all the major movements of humans are driven by economics. And so I, I think that the key to having humans all over the place in space on the moon mars and all around our solar system it lies in driving down the price to get to to get out of earth's gravity well yeah hmm. and that's what companies like spacex are working on i mean that's musk's general philosophy as i understand it is basically like hey look um if we make it cheap enough to get into low earth orbit a market will arise for the product yeah mm -hmm. yeah Do you see that happening yeah, yeah, they're they're driving down the price all the time. They're always coming out. You know, I want well, one of the many awesome benefits of being the author of The Martian is that like I got to I got to go to Johnson Space Center and I also got to go to uh, SpaceX. They awesome. they brought me in there for like VIP tours and stuff like that. And like it, it was interesting the stark differences between the two. Like uh, you know, NASA's a research facility. I mean, it's got lots of scientists, chalkboards, lab coats, and pocket protectors galore. Whereas like, you know, SpaceX is a rocket factory. Hmm. They are a production line. They're like, okay, over here is where we make this, over here is where we make this. We're all non-union because we don't want to deal with that crap. Um, um, <laughs> and the diameter, the diameter of our boosters is driven by how wide we can move things around on trucks Hmm. Oh, so wow. we don't have to rely on rail like so we can just drive things you know down the freeway wow. and it's all modular for transport we build things on their side not vertically you know so we don't need a giant vehicle assembly plant we just need a wide warehouse wow. which is much easier to arrange um you know and and like it's amazing it, it, one end here is where they're making the little parts and at this end is where they're assembling rockets you yeah. know mm -hmm. and it's just um they're doing everything they can. They, they also say like uh, the most expensive part of any um, company are its employees. Mm -hmm. So everything they're doing is trying to minimize the number of humans that are necessary to make a, a spacecraft. It's like uh, they're like, OK, could this be automated? Can can this be, you know, how can how can we minimize the number of people it takes? And that doesn't mean they lay off their people. It just means that, like, oh, with X people, we can now make more rockets. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So I've got a question. I've got a question about Artemis in particular. This is Barrett again. Um, mm. It seems like, especially for such a small town, it seems like such a rich well to draw stories from, and especially how it ends. Um, do you see yourself going back to to that um, that universe again? Oh, absolutely. Story. I would love to write sequels and just additional books in Artemis um, from like other characters points of view. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, not just following jazz around all the time, but like, you know, someone else, maybe a new character or uh, Rudy. I'd like to write a book that revolves around Rudy, the, mm -hmm. the cop. Yeah. And um, 
I actually pitched an idea to my publisher um, on the heels of Artemis. I pitched an idea where, where you know, it's basically a murder mystery, um, and Rudy was, you know, the main character. Mm, yeah. And uh, they didn't like it. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Bastards. It oh. also had the best imaginable title. I was going to call it Murder on the Moon. And <laughs> believe it or not, that has never been the title of anything. Really? <laughs> unbelievable. It is unbelievable. <laughs> Murder it's on the never Moon. Been a <laughs> Your publishers okay. turned that down? Come yeah. on. I know. But you know what? They turned it down because you haven't written it yet. That's why they <laughs> well, turned it down. I wrote. I mean, I wrote a chapter one and I gave it to him. And I'm like, this is a general feel. And my editor was like, okay, this is an interesting story, but the novelty of Artemis will have worn off for the reader by the time they read this. So now Artemis is a city. It's interesting. There's cool stuff going on. But just the idea of having a city on the moon is no longer in itself this exciting thing that will pull the reader through. Mm -hmm. And what you have in mind here is a murder mystery. And you're not like – your strength is in like science and stuff like that. Now you're talking about writing a murder mystery. (laughs) And uh, we just don't think it would be received that well. Yeah. Well, let me ask so, you this. I want to get nosy. Uh, are you working on anything new that you can talk about? Uh, y- yes, I'm working on stuff. No, I can't really talk about it. Um, I've got. Uh, I am. I am on the horns of a dilemma. I have two different, completely unrelated ideas for my next book, and I'm trying to decide which way to go. Hmm. And so, what I'm doing, what you've caught me in the middle of right now, is I'm writing. I'm a big fan of writing chapter one. Mm-hmm. So. If you have an idea, write chapter one and see how it feels. So I wrote chapter one for the first one. Now I'm working on chapter one for the other one. And um, I'll just see how it feels. Here's what you should do. Uh, you should get an AI that is as good at writing <laughs> at writing books as you are and have it write one mm-hmm. and you write the other. Mm-hmm. Then let the public decide, man. That's right. Which one's no, better? I, if I had one of those AIs, I, I would do exactly what you were saying. I would, uh, <laughs> I would have it crank out a book and then I'd present that as my own work. And then, uh, you know, I'd wait a year and have it crank out another one. There you go. And, <laughs> and I would awesome. kill no one. Are you, are you planning on being involved in the, uh, the production of Artemis the movie? Um, well, uh, my plans are not relevant. <laughs> you know, um, my only job was to cash the check. Ah, there you um, go. But I, I would love to be involved in any capacity that they want. But usually as the writer of the book, you, you know. You don't even have to. On the Martian, they 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 called and asked me a lot of science questions when they were doing it. Drew asked me a lot of questions. That's some creative from Drew when he was working on the screenplay, but mostly just um, just science stuff. And during the actual filming itself, I get questions filtered through from uh, Ridley Scott about like, oh, what if we showed this and that and the other thing? Would that be scientifically accurate? And I'm like. Yes or no? Or- <laughs> well, I mean, it's 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 hard to a lot of times for us to just kind of imagine what all these things look like and what how they operate and everything. Like the first time I read The Martian, I must have sat on one page for like ten minutes <laughs> trying to just absorb every single little thing, you know, to try to figure That's- this out. That makes that a failure on my part, then. No, I mean, it you wasn't. You should be able to just read at a normal pace. If I made it that complicated, well, then- no, I did it the second time. I was I, I ran through it a little bit faster and everything. But I, I mean, I don't I don't think I sit around thinking of these things often enough that when it came up, I was like, okay, so 
he has to open the airlock from here and then he has to do yeah. this and there's and then there's the the thing that just separates nitrogen and oxygen and there's all this the pressure is involved and all that i was like okay all right now i gotta <laughs> think about this for a second it doesn't make the story bad or hard to read or anything it just makes it more interesting for me and i don't know maybe that in, brings up another question do you find that there are you have a lot of people who are who have a hard time getting into that book because of that well, what I discovered, <clears throat> so first off, I mean, the history is that I wrote it as a labor of love and I was posting it a chapter at a time to my website. Mm -hmm. That's where The Martian came from. Yeah. Right? And then it was only like later that it became like a big book. And I had a regular readership of about 3,000 hardcore nerds from my <laughs> previous things that I'd posted on my website, science stuff, comics, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and um, so I was writing The Martian for them. Like, hardcore dorks who want to see the map you know mm -hmm. i had no idea it would have any mainstream appeal and what i discovered and this was completely you know unintentional on my part is it worked out perfectly because the people who aren't as interested in the science or math just kind of skimmed the parts that explained that mm -hmm. they're like yeah whatever i yeah is, there's a bunch of numbers going on right here but i i, I i'm sure they're right yeah and that <laughs> itself is actually pretty cool when the reader has enough faith in you that they'll just take it for granted that that it's that there's no hand waving going on. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it it gives an authenticity to the story when the reader reaches that point. That's like uh, you can't buy that level of trust. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's like yeah. Yeah. It, I feel like it's similar. I'm I was a big Tom Clancy uh, reader in the '90s, and I would do this like whenever he would get into one of those three or four pages describing the aircraft carrier. Right. Um, I would kind of do that skim over it to get back to the story part. Mm -hmm. uh, be but but I know that part of what his core hardcore fans really appreciated about him was that level of detail. Uh, but the research he put into it, the knowledge he had of, of military vehicles and how everything operates in there. Uh, I know that's what drew a lot of his core audience to those books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what they what we in the industry call uh, was it a uh, serial number porn yeah. which is uh, <laughs> basically where you have like this level of authenticity where you know <laughs> yeah that's awesome but, term I, for it. but i do feel like there is a balance though like it is uh, it's not just it's not just just dense statistics for like five pages mm -hmm. it's it's right. pretty quickly summarized like i well I, that's the challenge when you when you're into something that the audience may or may not be into, like I like the science, I like the math, I like understanding the physics behind stuff and, and the chemistry behind stuff. And, and also I'm an economics dork. Mm -hmm. And these are all things that most people aren't, especially economics. And that was a, that, that, that's a good example of a, a challenge for me is like, uh, well, just like talk about physics in the Martian. I needed them to under, I needed the reader to understand the problem Mm -hmm. You know, whatever the problem du jour that Mark was having. Mm -hmm. But I also needed the book to not read like a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Right. So I, it's a real balance. And it's hard for me because I could ramble on about the physics all day. And and it the the trick to writing is write something that you yourself would enjoy reading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you also have to know that like, OK, I would love to read like 10 pages in describing in excruciating detail the physics and chemistry behind this. Most readers won't. Yeah. So I just need to give them just the information that they need to understand the problem and then not and then not get crazy after that. <laughs> As for uh, economics, um, very few people like more people are interested in hearing about the science behind things than they are in, 
hearing about the economics behind things, mm -hmm. right? But Artemis, one of the key plot lines revolves around economics. Right. So I had to kind of describe some economics, but don't get too deep into it. Or <laughs> yeah. just kind of be funny when you do and just go for the broad strokes. Anyone who wants to dig deeper can go online and read my articles about it. But <laughs> man, I mean, if we learn nothing, if we learned one thing from The Phantom Menace, it's, you know, don't start a story with a prolonged description of supply side economics. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's so lesson. true. So true. <laughs> I mean, when you, when you put it in the voices that you that you have, though, with with jazz and Mark, they're so acerbic. And there'll be times where they'll say, like, you know, long story short, here's what here's what. I'm facing right here. And I think right. you, you do such a good job of conforming to, to that voice. And obviously, I think Jeremy uh, mentioned that there seems to be almost a little bit of overlap between Jazz and Mark in terms of, you know, their sarcasm and, and yeah, their wit and things me. like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is there a lot of you in those characters? Absolutely. Uh, Mark is definitely he's the idealized me. He's He's all the he's all the parts of my personality that I that I like about myself and none of the bad stuff. <laughs> so he's he's the idealized version of me. And Jazz is a little bit more the real me. Uh -huh. Um she's got flaws, she's got regrets, she's allegedly very intelligent but also makes a lot of bad life decisions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um so they're both based on just kind of different parts of my personality. Um do you do a lot of reading? Do you have much time for reading? Um are you... oh, it's sad, not anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, it's weird. It's like once you and I've heard this from other authors, too. It's like once you get into the point where you're full time writing, a lot of authors, myself included, just kind of stop reading. Yeah, it's because it becomes kind of like a busman's holiday. You know, you spend all day writing and then reading your own work and editing and stuff like that. You're kind of like a little fatigued on reading by the, when it's time for leisure time. Yeah. So I actually spend a lot of time just watching uh, TV and movies. Is that that's that's how I like to. That's how I consume entertainment. Uh, you know, on the consumer side. What are some shows that you're really into right now? Uh, well, I like I like. Uh, I'm. I mean, I'm not. For some reason, I'm not yet sick of superhero stuff. So um, I'm. I like uh, for TV show. I like the CW. Uh, various uh, the Arrowverse. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. And I like um, I also like the, the Marvel stuff on Netflix. Oh, great. Um, and then I, I, I am still enjoying uh, I'm kind of running out, but I, I'm still liking a lot of the uh, the, the cinematic, the Marvel, uh, the MCU yeah. and stuff. And although I mean, like I liked Infinity War. I wasn't that excited by the by the other Avengers movies, but I like the the surrounding movies. I really liked Doctor Strange. I really mm. like, you know, Ragnarok and you know so it, it's kind of hit or miss for me on those. Sure. No, I get that. They seem to strangely be getting better, I think. Like yeah. it's a, uh, it's an odd yeah. it's an odd um, thing when a mo when movies get to even four or five, they start really losing a lot of steam, but this is an eighteen nineteen now. So <laughs> well what happened was, it, I think one of the reasons Infinity War was so uh, enjoyable, or at least certainly to me, I thought it was awesome, mm -hmm. um, is because they could come into the movie with the assumption that you already know all these characters, you already know their powers, you already know their backstories. So they didn't have to put any time or effort into exposition at all. Right? Mm -hmm. And so now you're just seeing like 20 well-known characters all doing their thing and they could just move straight into the action. Yeah. Yep. And so it was just like two and a half hours of just like 
this is happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get used to it. Whereas, um, like things like Civil War, I mean, in the comics, it was this big kind of chess match between kind of Captain America and and uh, Tony Stark and all this stuff going on here, there, and the other place. Blah, 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 blah. And in the movie, it was kind of like a um, a brawl in a Seven Eleven parking lot. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Or an and airport. It's just yeah. like, well, that happened. You know. <laughs> I got at least a couple of writing related questions because sure. um, on my off days, I fancy myself somewhat of a writer, <laughs> um, and so. I'm curious to know for you personally, I know what it is for me, but what takes what what does it take for an idea to go from something in your brain to something you've decided to put to paper? Now, I know you mentioned you like doing chapter ones. That may be your answer to this question is to see how the chapter one goes and how you feel. Uh, but but how do you know an idea is one that you want to pursue and actually write as opposed to one of many you might come back to later? That's an interesting question. I'm not sure how to answer that. Um, I have a really tough time with that process, as you can tell, because I, I go so far as to write a chapter, when yeah. I, you know, to kind of like see how I feel. I've got a lot of, I've got a big pile of chapter ones in my, you know, <laughs> on my, on my hard drive. That you I, could, that I I, no lie, you could publish a collection Just, of your chapter ones and it would be a bestseller and I would read the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then have an online poll for which one should be a book. There you go. Yeah, I vote for go. murder on the moon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the moon. Yeah. Well, um, and uh, so I guess the thing is, first off, if you've got an idea, the, the, the first question is like, how much time do you spend daydreaming about it? Yeah. If you keep coming back to it, if you keep like, thinking about it and thinking about the ramifications of it and oh then this could happen or maybe that could happen then that's a good sign like that that means it's if it's that interesting to you it'll it, there's a good chance it'll be that interesting to the reader yeah um another thing is um like you have to see if it has legs do you just have a plot twist and nothing really else mm. or do you just have kind of an interesting concept, but you're not sure where to go with it. Cause I've certainly had a lot of those. Mm -hmm. um, you've got to think about like, where, wh how does this, where is the conflict in this? Where are the problems that the protagonist has to solve or survive or whatever? Um, and like, how do I, where is, what is the climax? What is the conclusion? Just the, the super broad strokes, like, what's the story here hmm, yeah mm -hmm. and then um and then you yeah and then you got to see then for me the next big challenge is is this a story that's been told like a thousand times with you know a different coat of paint on it yeah because i've come up with all sorts of ideas where someone has a superpower but i always end up falling back into you know this generic superhero movie concept of like oh some guy gets his powers and then you know he gets to play with his powers for a while but then a villain arises who yeah, and then they're in conflict. And, and I'm like, yeah, that story's been done so many times. I try to come up with something a little more unique. And then they get into a big fight in an airport hangar. <laughs> and they get in a big fight in an airport hangar. Yeah. Um, I know that you've met uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson a few different times. Uh, yeah. maybe for all I know, you guys are like best buddies now. Uh, <laughs> but he guested on a few Sins videos back in the yeah, day. Yeah, including The Martian. Yeah, and <laughs> including The Martian. And, I watched uh, that one. You'd watch that one? <laughs> Do you have any gripes with uh with our nitpicks? No, not at all. Yeah, I didn't figure. Um, we got to meet him. No, I watched every, I watched literally every one of your videos. Oh, oh wow. uh, that yeah. that raises a well, whole bunch. Of... I think one came out 
just today, I think. Right. Or yeah. I, I, I haven't seen the one from that, today. Yet. That actually raises another question. Why? <laughs> yeah, Cowboys no, no. and Aliens came yeah. out today. I haven't seen that. No, one. I, it's 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 weird because we have this conflict between um, people that we like that don't like us, and then there's people that we like who do like us, and so like I don't know where the where that balance is. I, it, I die inside when people I like are like coming on Twitter and like. <laughs> Fuck cinema sins, <laughs> and uh, and but when somebody like you is like, I've watched every video. I'm like, really? Why? <laughs> I don't know. It's entertaining. It's funny. Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I, oh, that's such sweet, sweet. <laughs> I will live on that for a long time. I'm telling you, man, it it will carry a lot, a lot more than you think it will. Um, <laughs> because I, you're sort of, I, I love a lot of things about you. I love that you aren't. You weren't an overnight sensation. You didn't write the Martian, hand it to a publisher, and they went, stamp, gold. He's the You yeah. were plugging away, writing on your website for years for, like you said, for your core audience. And, and you didn't even write the Martian with the idea of becoming a best-selling author and having it turned into a movie. And yet you have accomplished now what anyone like myself who's ever written a book wants to do you've crossed over you you have had a bestseller and now you get to go to movie premieres you get to inter do interviews with neil degrasse tyson you've probably met matt damon um i, I, have I know <laughs> i saw on social media you met george r. r martin i mean it's hard enough yeah. for me to rationalize our success on youtube how <laughs> insane is your life compared to six years ago and does it even feel real um you know it's weird it's like it's the new normal. It, 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 it's amazing how quickly you just kind of get used to stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've got a bunch more money now. But that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, cool. And I get to spend all day like doing what I've always wanted to do. I always wanted to be a writer ever since I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, the reason I went into engineering is because I also like regular meals. I mean, <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, I I don't know. I just uh, I just kind of uh, it does seem like. What really seems like a daydream to me or just sort of like surreal is is the time like right when The Martian was being made, uh, when, when they were shooting it and doing post-production and then and then when it was out in theaters, that whole thing just seems like, did that actually happen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I imagine so. Yeah, it was like, was I really at a red carpet event with like Matt Damon and Jessica Chastain and, and at... Yeah, no, I was. <laughs> and then, 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 you know, I went home and, you know, fed the cats. And, you know, it's just, like, it yeah. just You know, I think there's something a, to be said for, um, cause you clearly, you're clearly down to earth. You clearly haven't like become a diva with this level of success. <laughs> and I think there's something to be said for finding success, you know, it, in your thirties and forties, as opposed to like at, at 18 when it's, I think much easier yeah. to slip down the slope of being an asshole. Uh, whereas, <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had the good fortune of having about, let's see, when did the Martian come out? Uh, the book came out in 2014. So I was 42 years old. So I'd had 42 years of, uh, you know, of 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 life reminding me that I'm like you know of, of, of you know of getting my face kicked in here and there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I got to become a mature human and stuff like that before I got success, which is which is good. 
I think yeah. so. We, I think Jeremy and I talk about like if we had made this channel when we were 22 or something like that, we'd probably be insufferable at like, you know, <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Not only that, I would have, I would have spent what, what money we have made on stupid shit like yeah. Lamborghinis and <laughs> like video phones. You'd be Jake and, Paul. Yeah, yeah, I would. would be Jake Paul. And I'm glad I'm not. Mm -hmm. When I, I remember when I was uh, about 20, my friends and I uh, designed a submarine. We were going to, like just for fun, we designed like, oh, we could build a submarine, and and like we worked out it would cost about fifty thousand bucks to buy the parts and materials to build it. And I was like, man, if I ever have fifty thousand bucks, I'm gonna do this. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm glad I didn't have fifty thousand bucks because I probably would have drowned that yeah. next day, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else, guys? I don't want to waste this man's time. I know that we. It's slotted to go long, but I don't want to just. I feel like honestly, I could talk with you forever, but I, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, we're doing a show here, I guess, and I mean, we we could talk about we could just shoot the shit, but I don't know how. I mean, I would be, I could easily go, hey, let's talk more about how much you like our videos. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, I do, I do. I, I'm, I'm I like, really. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, I like I like the running gags in them. So you know, to the people who watch all the videos, just the. Um, the running gags that yeah yeah yeah, have, yeah, like, yeah. you know anybody who's eating an apple is automatically an asshole <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's one in this video that yes, just came out it's amazing yeah, how it. often that happens yeah. <laughs> well these cliches yeah. are cliches for a reason yeah yeah well i can't i just personally wanted to thank you for taking even five minutes of your time and you've taken a lot longer than that um and it means a lot to me i'm a, I'm a fan of yours uh i look forward to what you put out next and maybe we can have you back on when artemis is uh having its world premiere or something. i'm telling you i i look forward to how this is visualized because you mentioned that you're not really keeping a cinematic landscape in mind when you're writing these things but i could easily right. see how it it would translate to that i mean in my mind it's like hard to think about like what the inside of Artemis looks like, especially in like the Aldrin Arcade, the area yeah. that's like the main shopping yeah. area. Yeah. I almost imagine it looking like kind of a futuristic mall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a, how I uh, visualized it too. It is yeah. interesting because on these, I don't know how much you have to do with this, but obviously on the, the copies of the books, they've got the maps on the, yeah. uh, on the front end of it. And I was constantly going back and referring to, oh, this is where the, the Apollo landing site is in relation to this, to this. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, very, very cool stuff. Yeah. I love maps. I, I, love, that shit. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I, I love using the geography of the real, you know, planetoid, you know, Mars or the moon and stuff like that. That's kind uh, of obvious, even in the Martian where he's just looking at this, this like horrible readout from something from like with 1996 or something like that he can barely read it but you can see i can see the enthusiasm you have for maps even in that because it's yeah. not even easy to read but he's like yeah all right you know <laughs> these, all these things are well, exciting. There's a map in the front of the martian too yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah i think that's gonna be a thing for me maps <laughs> but, yeah um but yeah i wanted to do like when i wanted to do the sequel to artemis i wanted to have like the updated map i want to I, I would like to have like a whole series of artemis books and in front of each one is the map of the ever-growing city and so they would add new bubbles and things like that of course yeah yeah, yeah. And the next awesome. this, that's the always this was going to take place about three years after the first one and it, it's like now there's the mitchell bubble which is the next astronaut in the sequence to name a thing after yeah <laughs> that's always an interesting thing when you crack open a book for the first time you see all these drawings and maps and stuff and you're like 
how does this factor in? And yeah. you were getting yeah. about 50 pages in. You're like, okay, well, I know what this is. What is how does this ever get in? Well, it's also it's like, cool to see how, it, how relative to each other. Like, yeah, but then by the time you get about 150, 200 pages in, you go back and yeah. refer to it. And like, oh, okay, I yeah, know yeah, where yeah. everything else yeah. is oh, now. Yeah, I get it. It's I great. Like that. um, so that's where Mordor is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't tell you how many times I would look at that map. That is the king of all referred <laughs> yeah. back to maps. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien was a guy who came up with a setting and then grudgingly wrote a story in it. Yeah. But he came up with like 10,000 years of history that you never even hear about yeah. unless you read the Silmarillion. And only complete dorks would read that. I mean, you guys certainly have. Yeah. Yeah. You've yes, got like have. six copies of the Silmarillion, don't you? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, well, um, yeah, I know you guys are being polite and trying to let me go, but I did want to um, – I did want if uh, if you're willing, and I don't know if you touch on this stuff in your podcast, but I've always like admired kind of Jeremy about uh, mental health stuff. No, oh, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's do it, do it man. So, yeah, so I mean, we, Jeremy, we talked about that a little bit uh, on email, you and I, yep. just in. But uh, yeah, I, I just uh, there's a real stigma about mental health, and I think it's good when um, when when folks like you or anybody else who has a you know a megaphone kind of says like, look, you know, it's okay to have a mental health issue and these are medical issues and, and just go, go get help. It doesn't mean you are a, a failure as a human being or something like that any more than if you had a broken leg, you'd get medical help for that. And, mm-hmm. and it's just like, I, I don't know. I, I, I like your approach to it. Uh, you, you do it generally on your, on your own channel, right, Jeremy? On, on your own, on your own social media? I'm not sure. But I mean, yeah, the cinema since social media has basically morphed into Jeremy's Twitter, at least on Twitter, <laughs> yeah. um, and that's where I do most of it. Uh, we've we've done a couple of notes in a video. I think when we did some a special shirt for Mental Health Month, mm-hmm. we went, we might have wow. mentioned it. In a, I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. It's not the kind of thing that we can sit down and and say live with a guest. Hey, do you have any mental health things that you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or you want? Um, but well, yeah, I do. Uh, I, I um, I would love to hear anything you want to say. All all that you've said already is very encouraging, and I'm I'm glad that you wanted to spend extra time talking about that. Yeah. Um. Uh. So my whole life, I've had a um. I had a well in in my in my younger years, I had real problems with depression. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. In my twenties and and early thirties, and um. Like like you know, sleep fifteen hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like you know, only like begrudgingly eat because eventually I have to, Yeah. Uh, you know, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. It just like, you know, people, you know, would say like, you know, smoking is bad for you. It'll kill you. And I'm like, okay, when, and, you <laughs> know, <laughs> yeah. and I had real problems with that. I, I had a breakup with my girlfriend back in college and it set off an episode that lasted for like a year. Mm. And it, it was like, after a while I was like, okay, this is way too much to be explained by me just having a breakup. Like I've seen other people break up and they don't, you know, it's kind of like I started to realize there's something different, you know, there's something wrong going on. And unfortunately at the time it was, uh, it was kind of the early nineties. And back then, like the, the way most therapists or whatever, the way the kind of medical industry dealt with depression was like, uh, suck it up. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I actively tried to seek help. Like I went to therapists and stuff like that. And, and they didn't, they, they were just like, oh, well, you're sad. And I mean, they understood there was this concept of, of yeah, there is such a thing as depression and there is clinical depression, and, but it was still really new. Yeah. And, and then 
um, over time that turned into anxiety, which is actually, I've had anxiety problems my whole life. That mm. was a de- about, about a depression that eventually kind of went away. And I've got to believe there was some brain chemistry involved because your early 20s is kind of when your brain chemistry starts to really change, I think. Mm-hmm. But um, then it became anxiety, and I've had a lifelong problem with anxiety. And that's, that was even harder to get any sort of help with because once people start taking depression seriously and they're like, oh, okay, we've got Prozac, we've got all these things to try to help with depression, they still weren't – like the, the medical world wasn't really taking anxiety seriously. They're yeah. like, what, you're nervous? Well yeah. – you know, it's like they'd say like, oh, well, we're going to teach you some breathing exercises, which mm. to anyone who has like chronic anxiety, I can tell you, is kind of like throwing a bucket of water on a forest fire. Yeah. It's like, OK, yeah, uh, you know, I was at a 10. Now I'm at like a 9.9998. Yeah, it didn't freaking help. But finally, I did find like comp- the, the, the right therapy uh, and it ends up being just a just an uh, anti-anxiety med that you know it's actually an antidepressant mm-hmm. that i take it's uh i don't know if you guys are don't want brand names said on the oh, that's fine no we don't shy away from it it's 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 zoloft which is uh sertaline mm-hmm. is the is the chemical name and that's usually prescribed for uh depression but it, it they depression and anxiety are two sides of the same coin they're the same kind of chemical malfunction in your brain. And so things that can be used to treat one are often used to treat the other. And in my case, it really helped a lot. And it, it just kind of like, it's not like I, you know, popped a pill and I'm like, wow, everything's great. Mm, it's yeah. like after six weeks of going like, well, these pills aren't really doing anything. I don't feel any different. One day I was like driving to Ikea <laughs> and I was like, I remember the last time I drove here, I was super stressed out about how to get into the parking lot yep. and how to have fun and how to navigate the parking lot. Like last time I was like grip white knuckling my steering wheel. Cause I was so worked up and this time I'm just dealing with it. And that's kind of like what, that's what anti-anxiety medication does. It, it, you don't even realize it's working until you find yourself in a situation that used to really get you worked up. And now it's just like, you're the normal amount of yeah. worked up. <laughs> yeah. And I guess this prolonged ramble is just to say, um, keep working at it. Like if you, if you have problems with anxiety or depression, it's like, it's like, it's like having a physical malady. It's like having a broken leg. And oftentimes the, uh, the first, the first one or two doctors you go to, to talk about it will not be that useful. And if you feel like you're not getting the help you need, if you feel like things aren't improving, then keep pursuing other doctors until yeah. you find what you need. And that may or may not be medication, but until you, until you find a way to improve, keep working at it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, the other thing I would say is that medication is great. There've been a lot of advances in it, but you also have to do the therapy. I, I talk to a therapist every week. Um, I talk to him over Skype. So I, my, my work schedule has me tr- flying around, traveling around a lot, but I still, I Skype with my therapist every, every week. Yeah. And, so for that, I would say back to the broken leg analogy, you break your leg, you go to the doctor, you get it fixed. That's the same as the meds that you take, right? Yeah. And then you have to do physical therapy to be able to really use leg. You can't just ignore that part of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you, you have to do the work. You have to, you have, you have to go to therapy. So there's yeah. my little spiel. <laughs> Man, that's better than the whole previous rest of the show, yeah. in my opinion, honestly. Because if I'm going to do one thing right, uh, with this platform that we've been allowed to have, it's going to be to promote mental health awareness and to try and destigmatize it. 
and and you're totally right that you have to keep at it. I was blessed, lucky, fortunate to have found a doctor who did not have any stigma with anxiety. I didn't even go to her for anxiety. I went to her for chest pains and started rattling off some other things. And she said, oh, you have anxiety. Mm. Uh, but the first thing she prescribed for me was Zoloft. Okay. And it didn't work very well for me. It actually worked really well with the anxiety, but knocked me out. I needed like a four-hour oh. nap every day. And so I had to go back and try a different medication. I'm on Prestique now, which uh, works really well for me. But even that took a couple of weeks to get into my system. Mm -hmm. And, and oh, yeah. I had to play with the dose. Yeah. And see, that's that's good. You got to let everybody know about that. Uh, that it's, it's a trial and error problem. I got lucky in that the first med that we tried worked yeah. um, and had no, I didn't have the side effects that you're, that you have. And so then I, I was in good shape, but um, yeah, it, different brains are different, you know? And yeah. so, you know, if you have a doctor who's helping you out, they'll say like, try this for a while. And then if it doesn't seem to be working, don't come. It's very easy, especially, you know, when you're an anxious or depressive person, it's very easy to come to the conclusion to get hopeless, to go like, well, even the meds didn't work. Uh, mm -hmm. I give up. Yeah. Well, don't give up. It's just that med didn't work. Move on to the next one. Yeah, they got more meds than you have lifespan. Well, and even I would, <laughs> I would also add, even finding a therapist can be a process. Um, yeah, yeah. I've I'm on my second therapist. I've been with him for about three years and super happy. A friend of mine is on her sixth uh, mm. therapist mm. Uh, and uh, very happy now, but. Uh, that just there's a chemistry element um, and there's an yes. experience element. Uh, and again, every brain is different. Every therapist is different. But what we want to mostly encourage is if you if you feel like you might have some kind of anxiety or depression or any other mental health issue it, to see a doctor, get it checked out, seek therapy and treatment. And there are resources. I know a, a lot of thing. A lot of people will tell me immediately I can't afford to do that. And I understand that the prestige has now gone generic for me. Thank God. It's like 25 <laughs> bucks. But before that, it was $400 a month because my insurance didn't want to cover it and it was expensive as hell. Uh, so I get that. I'm not trying to suggest, you know, everybody can afford every level of care, but there are resources out there in almost every community that are free that can point you in the direction uh, of counseling services, uh, help for paying for medications and doctor bills. Uh, and then, of course, just talk, at least talk to someone Um Maybe even Andy Weir. Maybe he'll uh, pick up the phone when you call. <laughs> yeah, I, I myself, and I don't even know what number this therapist is. I had to go through a bunch, but this one, is, the one that I have now, is great. I've been talking to him for like I think like ten years. Wow, like, that's outstanding. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's great, man. It means so much to me that you wanted to say that. Like, yeah, I wish I yeah, could no. give you a big old hug right now. That, that's so important to me, and I'm <laughs> no, glad that you wanted to talk about it. We're finally hug. seeing. Yeah, <laughs> he's giving a hug through the Skype. There. <laughs> uh, it's a. Uh, it, it's a. Uh, it's it's an interesting age we've been seeing athletes coming out about this mm -hmm. actors coming out about this and everything it's uh finally sort of getting this to the forefront because i think for people who don't experience these type of things when you see it for it's the first time yeah. yeah when you see it for the first time you're like wait a minute why are you so like stressed out and like acting this way and everything yeah. it doesn't make any sense to somebody who observes it well yeah. it's, it's also changed how it's being portrayed in movies and tv I just we just finished watching that Sharp Objects show, mm -hmm. and that delves into a lot of 
things that you wouldn't normally see on on the screen and yep. how that's portrayed. So we actually did a, a whole podcast on this, Andy, uh, mm. uh, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we talked about mental health and how it's portrayed in movies and how that's oh. evolved over time. Uh, but yeah, the more the more it's talked about, the more it's portrayed in a realistic format, uh, the better it's going to be. Yep. Yeah. 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 And um, uh, that that spurred a thought, uh, but I lost it. Oh, well. <laughs> well it's it's interesting you know my the older ba- i get the more that happens yeah <laughs> my background this is barrett uh, my background is in psychiatry actually um and when i see things that are in movies that are that are inaccurate or used in in different ways it drives me crazy probably the same way that something like gravity and the uh the the debris uh racing at them at, uh, even though they're in the same orbit um, yeah. like, I call so, it the protagonist seeking debris field. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, when you see it, we just watched Rampage and did a, a, a uh-huh. video on it recently. And they used this genetic editing tool called CRISPR-Cas9, which I'm sure you, you're familiar with, yeah. um, as, a, as a mechanism to turn the apes into monsters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I've dealt with this thing in the lab in, 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 in animals Thanks and things like that. And it's, it's insane the way that they're using it. <laughs> it drives me crazy. All right, well, uh, that'll do it for this episode. We'd like to thank Andy Weir for coming in and talking to us. Uh, Thanks for having me. That's amazing. Uh, If you haven't, uh, read The Martian, read read Artemis. Uh, They're both great. Yes. Yep. Um, I, I had, I mean, five stars all the way. If, if, you know, if you have a five star rating, even if you've seen the movie a million times, uh, the Martian, you'll still get something out of reading the book. It's really, really good. I saw the movie first and then read the book later. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a great experience Mm -hmm. that way. Um, but, uh, anyway, uh, keep going to, uh, Sincast presented by Cinema Sins on Facebook. Uh, go to Twitter, go to Reddit. There's a billion different with SoundCloud. There's a different bunch of different ways to, uh, get to us um but uh, that'll do it for this week it's chris atkins and jeremy scott barrett share and andy weir we'll see you next time thanks for listening comment on our episodes on our soundcloud page check us out on youtube twitter facebook and reddit and be sure to visit cinemasins.com I'm just looking at a poster of American Beauty. I don't actually see any humans. Yeah. <laughs> Can okay. you use Greenwich Mean Time, please, Andy? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm good till 3 a.m. Okay. No, it's the, other way. it's the other way. They're ahead. So I'm good until 7 p.m. GMT. Okay. Well, 1900 GMT. There we go. <laughs> Glad we got that covered. <laughs>